Hey everybody, Mike here. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. I am joined, as always, by our producer extraordinaire, um, Tim. Tim has now relocated from the great city of Pasadena, California, to the interesting, more interesting city of Auburn, California. Tim, tell us, just give us one highlight from the move. One highlight from the move? I took off my beanie and put a hat on. Yes! It is a San Francisco Giants hat. Tim, it's a, Tim's a new man. It is fantastic. Now, um, now, Abani. Yes. Bonnie is is our she we're promoting Bonnie to co-host because she's a rock star. Woo, and, I'm so excited. And yes, and so we love we love Bonnie. So Bonnie, welcome to your first official day on the job. It um, you'll find that the pay uh, we we're all we all got in it for the money. That's yeah. what you'll soon realize. <laughs> um, so anyway, didn't know. So so what we've got today is we've got a. Uh, I, I wanted to finish uh, or follow up a conversation that, that started with Tim Gombas, or as Bonnie calls him, Gombas, um, as she taunts me with their friendship. But Or as I uh, call him, Tim number two, or, or, or four, perhaps. <laughs> Tim number two. So, But, but he said something about, um, the because we were talking about, okay, so how do you wrestle through the scripture together to ensure interpretation? And he was saying, well, one way you don't do it is follow proper hermeneutical procedure. And mm-hmm. my, my ears picked up because that's the only way I know how to do it. Right. So I wanted to, I wanted to follow up uh, with that uh, on that point because, holy cow, that's a big, that's a big deal. And uh, so we're going to do that. But before we get to it, we got a great piece of feedback uh, that I wanted to just highlight really quickly. Bonnie, go ahead and, and read that if you would. Absolutely. All right. Just a quick response to the listener who addressed negative political discussions. I found that he or she nailed something that I have experienced listening to your podcast as well. However, for me, it is not that you discuss your frustrations, but it is the disdain and the tone and word choices regarding those you feel are not representing Jesus in a beautiful way. I sense a deep hypocrisy and not Jesus. Hold on. When- hold on. First of all, um, I want to just go on the record by saying I, there is so much deep hypocrisy. So that's true. C- continue. So she nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> I sense a deep hypocrisy and not Jesus when politics are discussed on your podcast. It is discouraging. I think it is possible to address these issues with the same amount of truth while still communicating the worth and value of those you disagree with. It would be a beautiful thing for you to hear. It would be a beautiful thing for you to hear and change your approach, which would affect your large listening audience in more meaningful ways than you already have in the past. Thank you for all that you have shared that enriched my life. I do not intend for this to be read with an idea that I have an unkind spirit towards you or your fellow podcasters. I am thankful. All right. Well, first of all, um, I I love, I want to be the kind of person and I would love for us to be the kind of community where all of that gets spoken into existence. So the minute I saw Mm -hmm. this, I was like, okay, we got to, we got to address this because one of the, the core values that I want to be the kind of person who embodies is being generous with, with those whom you disagree. Mm-hmm. And there are times, and I need to go back and listen, because I don't, 
I, I would have said, oh, I do a pretty good job of that. I obviously not so much. Um, <laughs> be, because, and, and, and so here's what I, here's the question for discussion. First of all, thank you. I love it when we get really helpful, constructive feedback. I, I really do. I mean, this is a community, this is a community thing. And so um, I love that. And secondly, it is a big deal to me that I or any of us, but particularly me, would be treating people and not respecting the dignity they have as image bearers or fellow Christians mm -hmm. or whatever with whom I disagree. That's a big deal. That's one of the core ways of Jesus is even with those we think are crazy um, to respect them, honor them as, as worthy of, of love uh, and dignity and so on. So all of that's a big deal. My question then uh, becomes... Um, at what point can you get frustrated at ideas or at behavior, um, and, and have it be okay? Um, because yes, I, I don't, uh, so, so if you're going to point to Jesus, you don't, you see hypocrisy. Absolutely. But Jesus had this interesting dynamic where he would call out the religious leaders. Now, obviously, obviously I, <laughs> I'm in no way, shape or form, um, uh, you know, in any way reflective of, of his sort of goodness and inspiration. But uh, there is a, a precedent for believers calling out other believers publicly. I mean, you have, you have Jesus obviously doing this with the Pharisees uh, and the teachers mm -hmm. of the law, who he saw full of mm -hmm. deep hypocrisy. And then you have uh, uh, Paul calling out Peter and then talking to the Galatians about it um about peter seeming hypocrisy so first thank you for calling out mine no question about it i don't want to be like that mm. i do want to know is it is it the way i'm doing it or is it more the frustration itself does that make sense it sounds like it's the way it she okay. says the disdain tone and word choice okay all right so that's the way so it sounds like it's the way that it's being addressed not that it is being addressed Okay. All right. Well, if that's the case, then that's, that's on me and I got to do better. End of, end of story. Um, there is a, a, there is an unfortunate, um, grinding of, of, you know, grinding down of discourse. And, and I, and there are some days I get so frustrated and, um, and so I've got to do a better job. Tim, do you have thoughts, man? Or, or Bonnie, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, that's okay. I was just going to say, I wonder, I mean, I see places in scripture where Jesus is mad or he's upset or he yeah. even kind of says stuff that almost seems rude. Does that make sense? Oh, and yeah. Oh, yeah. I, we know, like, just because of the whole narrative of the thing, it's not the person he's mad at necessarily. You know, it's like the sin or the idea or the structure. So I wonder if, because I, I don't think it's wrong, like you started saying, to be mad at a, at something that is making Jesus not be beautiful or whatever. I think if we, if we all did better, just in general, differentiating, like separating an idea from a person, you know what yeah. I mean? We might be better yeah. off because yeah. I think so many times, and I do this all the time, we easily tag um, a theological concept or an idea in our movement to a person or a type of person. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that is not fair in and of itself. And I think that's where we steal dignity from people. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's very good. Absolutely. Tim, what are your thoughts? Cause I feel like Tim, you're mostly guilty of this. Yeah. You talk <laughs> and, too much. <laughs> and so I feel like, I mean, when she says hypocrisy, I just thought of Tim number one. Yeah, um, definitely. 
<laughs> no, no. What do you? What are your thoughts, my man? No, I think that's actually true. What you just said. I not that I've spoken up, but I am definitely very frustrated with quite a bit, and it's difficult for me to not get angry about that kind of stuff. So. <clears throat> But the issue think, isn't the issue isn't getting angry, right? right. There's a good place for anger, right? So I'm trying to process through how I respond to that, not necessarily in the podcast, but in general. And then with yeah. what Bonnie just said, how much do I generalize a group of people who share similar ideologies and then get angry at that group, right? right. Rather than rather than specific issues or specific topics or whatever. But so I don't know, because because it, if it's uh, so it would play out like this in my brain. I'm angry at someone for not making Jesus beautiful. And in my anger, I don't make Jesus beautiful either. <laughs> right. right. Which, which, which is like my favorite pastime of judging the judges. You know, you just, yeah. you just become, you become one of them. So, so I think that's a helpful distinction, Bonnie. The, the frustration itself isn't a bad thing. Mm -hmm. uh, because there is much, there, there is much to, to be frustrated at. And we have to be so, so careful to uh, still be people of hope and purveyors of grace and love and mercy. Um, but if, if, if I'm sliding into the rhetorical practices of the people that I don't like, then that's mm -hmm. just that we can't just do that. So, so to the person that wrote in, thank you for your gracious critique. I receive it. I will try to do better. Uh, and I'm, I'm very grateful that you've listened uh, even through the parts where you, you think it's really frustrating. So I appreciate that grace. So Can we I got say one more thing? Absolutely, Sorry. Bonnie. No, do um, it. You know, one thing my therapist always used to say is that anger is a secondary emotion. So sometimes I think what comes off as disdain is actually this deep sadness. And I know that's true uh, of me. And I believe that to be true of you because I know you is that something that makes us so angry. I think if we let it sit for a while, it's because it makes us very sad. And so mm. when we see something that is creating hurt or pain or making Jesus, I think our first reaction is anger, but in reality, we feel a sadness. So it may be in, um, also a practice of just being vulnerable about stuff that makes us angry mm. and being able to say like, gosh, this actually makes me really sad. And here's why here are the ramifications of it. I don't know. Just yeah, an idea. I like that. No, I like that. And and if you guys, if you ever see me doing that, just just say something. We'll do a code word. So it'll be it'll be um, hypocrite. Uh, is the code Wolverine? Word. No, Wolverine. <laughs> okay. Wolverine for the Mike's great state berserker rage. <laughs> Beast mode. Um, no, we're gonna go Wolverine, and that is that is the code word for. Um, uh, you're now you're now adding to the noise pollution, and yeah, not, well, I mean the time for that's, it's we're entering into an election season, so yes. Oh, the timing is, is real. Yes, I cannot wait. Um, okay, so excellent. <laughs> so anyway, we wanted to take some time on that, even in our intro, just to say thank you because listen, I mean this is a this is a community conversation. And even mm -hmm. though it's a lot of monologue from our end, um, we really do listen and pay attention to what it is that you're saying and thinking and feeling. And so I have huge respect for emailing in. Um, and um, I don't I don't ever listen to anonymous feedback, but if someone's willing to say, hey, listener, and this is what I'm noticing, I deeply, deeply appreciate that. So yeah. um, here we go, brothers and sisters. Another, uh, another conversation with who, Bonnie? Gombes. Yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> Gombus. Tim number uh, two. <laughs> All right. Hope you enjoy it. God bless you guys. Thanks. Happy 5th of July, ladies and gentlemen. I am here with uh, my new friend, uh, Tim Gombus, Dr. Timothy Gombus, um, who resides where in Michigan? Exactly. Grand Rapids. Grand Rapids. What's a Grand Rapids 4th of July like? <clears throat> what, what did you guys What did you guys do yesterday? Well, uh, so Grand Rapids is, uh, we live just on the outskirts, a lot of small towns and uh, a lot of parades going on. Nice. I myself took a, a long walk. I took about a 10 mile walk Ooh. and, uh, and just enjoyed the day of thinking, just chewing on some of the stuff that we might talk about, did my, my time of reflection, which I do on my walks. And then I actually went into the office and wrote for four hours. Whoa. On, I on love which... my life. I'm grateful for my <laughs> life, but I, I'm not the craziest patriot. Right. So 4th of July, my life is great and very easy. So holidays aren't, you know, I didn't necessarily need a day off. Right. My life is a party, so. <laughs> what were you writing, if you don't mind me asking? Was this uh, the book, the pastor book, or the... No, yes, I had, a, a, I had to wrap up a book review. Ah. And so I was, uh, was doing that and then writing up some other just sort of personal thoughts. Nice. Yeah, it was good. Nice. Enjoyed the day. And then went so, home and watched the Cubs game. You know, and the, the Cubs, Cubs, are they any good? I don't know. <laughs> This year they started off well, and now they're struggling. Yesterday they crushed the Pirates. Yes. Uh, so I did. There was a lot yes. of hollering going on in my basement. <laughs> awesome. Are you alone? Are you alone during oh, yeah. that hollering? Okay. Yeah. Right, wife I'm... joined me later, but she doesn't holler. She just what? laughs when I just like <laughs> left head. I, I've become the kind of person where if I'm watching a really important game, so. My Cavs were in the finals or my Buckeyes are in the yeah. national championship game or whatever. And I can't watch it with anybody else. I just, oh, yeah. I, I totally can't it. do it. I have to be alone. I'm insane. <clears throat> I'm too nervous. I can't watch. Yeah, I start pacing. <laughs> yeah, oh, exactly. It is just the worst. So that's yeah, the picture it. I have now of, of you and the Cubbies. Now, so Tim, thank you so much for joining us again. Yeah, thanks for um, letting me hang out. Oh my goodness, our community had a really fun and great response to our conversation and and you had said something. So I titled entitled the the previous episode Misunderstanding Paul. And I think I think I want to entitle this one Misunderstanding the Bible because you said something that I thought was so I I, I would never have said it this way, but you said it and 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 we explored it for maybe two sentences and then we were yeah. on to something else. Um, but, but I really want to talk about what, what the Bible is and how it is that we understand it and then arbitrate between competing understandings. And so I'm going to quote you. This is almost verbatim from, uh, the podcast we did. You said, we do not have an ecclesi uh, ecclesiastical hierarchy to govern our readings of scripture as Protestants. We kind of do whatever we want, form these communities however you want, and there's an illusion of traditional readings or ways. But in Protestant circles, the most powerful voices in the room govern how Scripture is handled. So what governs our reading of Scripture to give us assured readings or interpretations or the assured way forward? And then you said this. This was the bomb. What I found to be a, an unhelpful answer is solid hermeneutics. 
if we just basically appeal to a certain mechanism of interpretation, which is a thoroughly modern way of doing this, it keeps control in the hands of the most powerful voices. Now, um, my friend, I went, I paid like tens of thousands of dollars to go to seminary. Yeah. And they assured me (laughs) that the answer to all my biblical interpretive questions was solid hermeneutical method. So, so let's talk just a little bit about what do we mean when we say hermeneutics? What do you mean by that word? Okay, so uh, hermeneutics is uh, sort of the science of interpretation. So how do we understand things? How do we understand communication uh, broadly? Uh, and also, also running under, under that heading is um, how do we as 21st century people regard and read this ancient text and then uh, see it having an authoritative voice for how we order our lives today. All of that yes. is, is, is hermeneutics, hermeneutics. And um, I'm grateful for people like you that pay a lot of money uh, to come to seminary. <laughs> Cause uh, I teach biblical hermeneutics <laughs> and every, every fall with a colleague of mine and um <laughs> A couple of things about that, and and press anywhere where I'm not where I'm missing stuff, but just a couple of thoughts. Um, it is really really important to think critically about how we're reading the Bible, mm-hmm. and so reflecting on reflecting on what we're doing when we're reading the Bible is absolutely crucial, all the time, always. Okay. Um, it's really important for me to be understanding uh, how different texts work. How, okay. how do the Gospels mean? Uh, is that genre? Is that genre? Yeah, Different absolutely. Genre? Okay. So um, for me to have some genre wisdom. Mm-hmm. So when I'm reading Psalms, what am I doing? When I'm reading right. uh, Romans, what am I doing? Yes. What's happening in this interchange? Yes. And unfortunately, it's a tremendously unfortunate thing, but I'm also grateful for it. Um, unfortunately, we have these things called Bibles. Mm-hmm. Uh, which collect into one volume all the different kinds of literature and give us the illusion that it's all just the same thing. It's just all, right. it's a big book filled with a lot of pages and you can kind of flip around and sort of. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that's and, you can read it, and you can read it all the same way. Yeah, totally. It's totally we always flat. do. Yeah. And uh, so I find that we've always got to be asking ourselves that question. What are we mm-hmm. doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's hermeneutical wisdom, hermeneutical savvy, interpretive self-criticism. And, uh, and when I use the term criticism, what I are critical, what I'm trying to get at is being very aware of all of the dynamics that are involved in me as I'm reading this text. What so is happening? You, so are you saying, so let's say, because I've heard stories of people who just pick up the Gospel of John, and they read it, and they have no idea what any, you know, what maybe, uh, they only understand maybe 20% of it, Yeah. but there's still something about Jesus in there. Sure, totally. So when, when, I, when I have these conversations with people, one of the pushbacks I get is, look, I don't have time to do all yeah. of what it is that you're suggesting, yeah. right? It sounds great in theory, but I have no idea how to do this. Yeah. But you're not saying that somebody can't just open their Bible and benefit, correct? Yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anybody and everybody can open up a Bible and benefit. So, so then, what's the extra 
awareness bring to the table? Uh, the extra awareness um, is brought in by um, um, coming to understand that, uh, like according to a modern way of thinking about the Bible, the Bible is just a storehouse of facts. Yes. Uh, this is just a collection of facts about God, and I can open up to any page, and if I find uh, a fact from the Psalms, uh, you know, you knit me together in my mother's womb. That's a, that can be held alongside of another fact uh, mm -hmm. somewhere in Luke, uh, you know, reading the parable of the prodigal son. These are just two facts. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do I do with them? I, yeah. I, read a, I read a fact about God today. It gave right. me a feeling. I'm done. <laughs> but it's like these texts, um, understanding that these texts are doing things uh, is, is absolutely crucial to me. Hmm. Um, so, But I'm just trying to make the point that hermeneutical uh, savvy is a noble goal. Mm. Um, and to explain what I meant by, um, so I'm not discounting, uh, good hermeneutics with that quote that you cited. What I'm trying to say is when it comes to, um, when it comes to thinking about how we engage the Bible as the church and, uh, what guarantees fruitful or solid or reliable interpretations, uh, to my mind is not, um, a well-constructed uh, hermeneutical superstructure, because mm -hmm. then that well-constructed hermeneutical superstructure is our Lord. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that is, so basically what we have done, what many evangelicals have done over the last hundred years or so, is to make modernism uh, the enveloping, uh, I don't know, nest or womb that holds together the evangelical church. Right. We're a thoroughly modernist uh reality, which is, I think, terrible. It, one of the many terrible things about our culture that I, mm -hmm. that I participate mm -hmm. in. Can um, I stop you? Can I stop you for yeah. a second? Or do you, are you rolling? Oh, well, let me just say to move on. Yep. Uh, what I do think is the reliable thing. What, what actually mm -hmm. guarantees, not necessarily guarantees, but how do we know when we're reading scripture well? Right. Um, and it, it really, it doesn't, it's not going to be satisfying to a lot of people, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> Richard Hayes gets at uh, grappling with scripture from these three lenses, community, cross, and new creation. Mm. And to my mind, um, for church leaders and pastors, as we're thinking about our communities, uh, if, our, if our communities are taking the shape of the new creation, um, where people, everyone just feels valued and loved and welcomed, uh, if we're lifting up the name of Jesus, if we're taking the shape of the cross and valuing community, um, that then we're reading scripture well. Wow. Um, wow. And so when we're, so with that person that just picks up the gospel of John, right. Is reading and is, uh, having life transformation take place in gradual steps, uh, and very slow steps. That's good Bible reading. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think, I mean, what I do is we just try to move people along and sharpen people's, uh, skills and tools in reading scripture well, but ultimately um, what I'm trying to do is not satisfy, you know, sound hermeneutical principles or something like that. I'm trying to use the best tools possible to read scripture, uh, to fuel a life that is being shaped by the cross uh, and that is receiving the love of others and, and 
growing and loving others. Okay. So, so let, let's, let's get to that in a second. I want to back up because here was what, here was what I was taught. All right. In seminary that I paid thousands of, of dollars for. And, um, so, so first you have exegesis, right? Which yeah. is, um, you know, it's it's you look at a text and you look at its context. You look at yeah. its, you look at its, uh, the what it says, where it says it in the book, and then in the 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 corpus, right? So if it's Paul's letters, it's all of Paul's letters. Where did he speak of similar things? And and then you're going to the New Testament, and then you're doing the full canon, yeah. and um, and then you're looking at specific words and and word studies and and grammar and tense and all of those sorts of things. So that's the that is just you're plugging away at that and and the the assumptions that sit behind that process were that if you do that excavation yeah. what sits behind there are eternally true principles oh yeah that are applicable everywhere right these sort of propositional yeah. truths that that sit in some sort of disembodied you know they they take embodied form because they were written down in a culture but and so so when my theology classes came, it was it was four systematic theology classes. We would run one guy who would say, "Okay, here's doctrine of the Holy Spirit," and you would just yeah. summarize all yeah. of the individual propositions. Oh, There's your doctrine yeah. of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Here is the doctrine of the church, and you would summarize. Right, we'd start in the Old Testament, and da 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 da, da and you just work your way through it, and that was systematic yeah. theology. That's the only way of doing theology we were taught. Yeah, I tell you, right. I, yeah, me too. Exactly. Now, I want to be really clear for people who don't do seminary, um, why that's a problem. All right. So what? So if, if if somebody just said, you know, off the street, like, "Hey, man, this is what this is what I learned at Trinity or Talbot or wherever," how, how can you say this isn't a good thing? Of course, this is just how you read books, right? I mean, isn't that yeah. just normally? So what what's missing in that story? that we have told about how it is that we understand the texts? Uh, boy, oh boy, what's missing? Um, so I like what you did. Uh, you used a metaphor of excavation. So uh, basically biblical interpretation, which is what I do, I don't, uh, not so much theology, but what I do in biblical interpretation, that's imagining the text as sort of an archeological dig where I'm, I'm, I'm looking at tiny bits mm-hmm. uh, and I, uh, you know, I'm laying on my side with um, a little <laughs> brush and brushing uh, bits of dirt away. And I'm so focused on details um, and reading text that way, you know, I'm focusing on a phrase or a word and trying to get beneath that word right. to find all of its power. And then I kind of do the next word and find all of its power and I add up all the power and I've got this powerful message. Um, the reason why that is, not helpful at all is that that's very close to sort of a um bible code way way of reading the bible Hmm. like there's a uh, there's a hidden meaning yes well there's magic in these different words and i've got to kind of you know find the magic in the words or something like that instead of uh actually reading these texts the way that i would read a novel or that i would read um yeah if i have a novel and uh next to uh, a long letter that my wife wrote me uh, next to um, you know the the history of my of our country or something like that. Mm-hmm. That's what we have in the Bible. Different kinds of texts that are meant to be read. Um, the metaphor that I like to use, uh, or one metaphor that we could probably use, is a metaphor of just getting to know a person. Mm-hmm. Um, 
to engage with the text as a whole and uh, to sort of date it. Uh, you know, I'm kind of dating uh, this text. In fact, I've, this is the most helpful metaphor that I have come up with. Um, I've told people, you know, take a text like the gospel or the Paul uh, James's letter and get to know it as if you were involved in a long-term relationship with James um, and you're just dating it. Take a pass at it, you know, read it once through, read it again. All right. That's interesting. So, I mean, you're getting to know somebody, you ask mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, tell me about, you know, where you've come from. Uh, you know, what's, mm-hmm. how did you respond when that came up in your life? And so James just generates loads of questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm asking it questions. I'm peppering it with questions, but I'm reading it to understand the whole, knowing that just like a person emerges to me, who they are will emerge to me the more attention I give. Mm-hmm. James will emerge to me the more attention I give. So I've actually pulled back from all of the, um, the, micro, uh, the microscopic investigation of this word and that word. I think word studies, the, their importance is very marginal. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting to know texts as a whole and getting to know them over time, I have find, is, is a far more valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, think, uh, I, I just think we have been trained in seminaries to treat texts the way that you would never treat a text. Uh, I think we've got lost in the technique, which I think is really mm-hmm. unfortunate. Yeah, no, that's for sure. When it, when it was presented to me through N.T. Wright and, and somebody else, I don't remember who I first heard this from, but it was, it was reading the scriptures as a unified story told through a oh, library yeah. of different genres. Oh yeah, that's good. Um, and, and that there is a, creation fall redemption sort of recreation yeah. overarching narrative to it that was so unbelievably liberating because i still yeah. find that doing yeah, the word studies that that matters yeah but but it's not the most important thing so yeah. so you recommended a uh, essay by um, kevin van hooser who i've oh, yeah. and, and this is in the book evangelical futures and he distinguishes sort of reading three different ways of reading a text you you can read to kind of get behind the text um which is uh hey so so what's the what's the historical situation or what's the history of composition behind this text right and uh and then he talks about okay i'm trying to find it he talks about reading uh behind the text then there was another one and then the third one was he he talks about reading along the text which is which is a way of of seeing where the text is going and and kind of joining it in that in that process do you remember that this i read this about 18 years ago okay so the answer is no i read this (laughs) yesterday but i i think i saw i flipped back through it earlier today don't 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 worry about it. If I if I can't pull it, I'm getting old, man. Um, I would normally have that just right because I thought, okay, that's really interesting. Because yeah. the most modern, right? The pre the, the modern turn towards scripture was uh, scripture is just another uh, another scientific artifact to be dissected and and re-engineered according to you know uh, accepted scientific practice now that just took the form of hermeneutics and exegesis yeah. but it was th- that set of assumptions the the postmodern turn seems to be um well we're suspicious automatically of any reading that claims overall rightness 
um, that, that somehow claims privilege over other readings. And, uh, and so he's, he's contrasting, okay, you can try to get behind the text or you can focus, oh, this is what he talked about. You could, the other, the other thing is that you could focus on what the text reveals about you. Yeah. So ideology, not history, but ideology. So the yeah. so postmodern turn is, hey, I can learn from you a, a lot by hearing you interpret a text. Yeah. Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And then Van Hooser is like, no, no, no. But to read along the text, that's kind of the sense of what I'm hearing you say. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, I probably got that, that from him. Okay. What is that? Go into that just a little more. What is that? Because here's here's the concrete situation I'm thinking. Okay. Um, and, and, and you don't have to speak for you or Grand Rapids or anything, but let's, let's use the example of same sex, you know, um, relationships. And so you have, um, uh, one community saying, because when I, when, when you talk about creation cross and, and a new creation, uh, well, no, it's community cross and new creation. Yeah. Um, I can hear other communities saying, Hey, if, if, the the test you just gave of whether or not a community is flourishing and fruitful, well, look at what anti-gay theology has done, right? It's brought yeah. much harm. Oh, yeah. And so are we really – Rob Bell, he just said it. Well, he and I had a huge conversation when he, when he you know, uh, announced that he was um, – it was affirming. He just said, are we really going to marginalize millions of people for the sake of six texts? I mean, is that really what, is that really what we're going to do? Yeah. And, um, and so when you're reading along a text, how, how is it that you can, how is it that you are formed into the kind of person then that can, because we do have to privilege some interpretations over others. We have to, or we lose any sense of what it is to be Christian. Yeah. Um, how, how do you carry that balance in your mind yeah. as you're, as we're kind of walking this forward together yeah. as a community? Those are great questions. Uh, <laughs> Um, when I think about, um, oh boy, so many things that are raised right there. Um, I know. And if we need to slow down and take them no, one by I, I one, just, I can do so that. So many, uh, tempting things. Uh, first of all, you mentioned one of these, one of the, you mentioned this, um, there's something very unhelpful about, uh, the postmodern moment or the postmodern mood. Uh, what I think is unhelpful about it is it's um, playfulness for no reason. Now, I'm a very irreverent person, but I don't, um, when it comes to dealing with biblical texts, uh, readings that are just uh, these kind of personalized readings that like, like you mentioned, um, I, I find just uh, pointless. Mm -hmm. um, however, there's something wonderful about the postmodern moment which I think um, uh, the skepticism and cynicism, I think is really important. That is, there's a very critical posture toward any possibility of making power moves with the Bible, which I think happens all the time. All the time. Um, and I think even we need- Even preaching, even preaching totally, the way it's done. Absolutely. Today. The way that we, yes, the way that preaching is done in our world, um, mm -hmm. that happens a lot. So I think that's very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. And I also- I love uh, Van Hooser's notion of reading along with the text. Mm -hmm. That is, to my mind, the text has a shape. It has a grammar. Hmm. Uh, it has a logic. It has a, has a flow. It has a, um, um, I mean, I imagine sort of a dry riverbed 
that will determine the course of how the water flows when it, you know, during a flood season. Um, scripture has that, and it's our task to match that, to have the, the, the mode of our thinking and feeling and loving and hoping and fearing and relating, to have that all match the grammar of the text. Okay. Um, and by grammar, we don't mean literal grammar. Yeah, you not, mean the, not the language necessarily, the but reasoning. just the logic, yes. the reasoning, absolutely. It, yeah. Yeah. Um, because our inherited logic, our inherited way of reasoning and thinking and hoping and mm-hmm. feeling and loving, et cetera, is, is all comes from our culture. It comes from our world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we put Bible verses to it and call it Christian, but it's really often a worldly way of thinking. Yeah. Um, so I want to be thinking along with the text. So I'll just give you one example. Good. Um, in, in my opinion, Romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 32, Mm -hmm. uh, I think is best read as a rhetorical setup for uh, two, one and following. Yeah. That is Paul is, he's wanting to paint as dark a picture possible of uh, the Gentile world. And he does it in very Jewish terms um, so that uh, people who are already prone to be passing judgment yeah. On, on sinful Gentiles, ungodly Gentiles, are going to be fired up with passions to just, uh, you know, judge ungodly Gentiles uh, ever more effectively. So that he can then turn on them in verse yes. 1 of chapter 2. Yes, you who? Them. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So um, that has to shape how I read, uh, what is it, verse 27? Right. With regard to um, same gender erotic relations that has to shape that. So if I if I find someone who is wanting to um, uh, find their uh, ammunition for saying that same gender erotic relations is out of line. And, you know, we have this verse as ammunition now. Yeah, um, I'm going to I'm going to want to see them as the target of the kind of person that Paul wants to confront. Mm. Does that uh, make automatically, sense? yes. So automatically, so that's you when you're rummaging around a text designed to call out self righteousness, and you're you and you're rummaging around that text for ammunition to use against somebody else. Right. You've automatically become the object of the text itself. Absolutely. Oh, that's so good. So that okay. So <laughs> that has to trouble me, or that that has to affect. Yes. If yes, I'm if yes. I'm wanting to think with Paul, I'm wanting to think with Paul. Um, if I'm looking around the New Testament and the Old Testament for, for uh, ammunition, or if I'm looking just even to find out, um, I have to take very seriously um, the whole thrust of the, the logic of Romans, which is going after people who are judging, going after people who are boasting, and wanting all the Roman Christians to own the identity, sinner, ungodly, and weak. Yeah, uh, by the time we get on. to... Um, 14. Uh, chapter four on the way to chapter 14 and 15 of um the exhortation to the the two factions Mm -hmm. that are that are judging each other um his exhortation to them to welcome each other so i have to if i'm reading along the text of romans taking it as a whole his whole way of reasoning i'm not looking for one micro verse to prove someone wrong or to, to say this is the sexual ethic that we have to follow what i'm wanting to understand is uh, what is out of line for me and uh, is judging. Uh, okay. What I'm being constrained to be thinking about is 
participating in a community that's oriented by welcome and by um, holding our own opinions without judging others. Okay, hold so, on. Oh, okay, go, go, go. I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, Something I'm just, I'm just saying that that has to shape me as a person, and then it has to shape me as a person who's thinking about issues regarding sexuality. Right. Um, so it makes this whole thing a lot more, uh, not, not necessarily complicated. I, I think it is a bit more complicated and complex. Uh, it, it gets me away from participating in conversations where I just answer the question, Right. Uh, is uh, homosexual sex wrong mm. or, or are same gender erotic relations wrong? It just makes me have to do some, um, a bit more work on who I am to even be the kind of person weighing in on that. Mm. Uh, because the text is wanting to address me as a person who would like to make sexual rules for others. <laughs> does that so, make sense? Oh, it totally does. Cause it, and it's so antithetical to how I was taught. Yeah. Right. Because what you do is you assemble all the texts on a given subject. Right. And you exegete those texts and that gives you your answer. So, so, so many of the conversations around same sex erotic behavior deal with the, the ins and outs of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and Leviticus and Romans yeah. and Timothy and Corinthians. Right. And, 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 and I'm like, yeah, but it seems like there's something missing. And so what you're yeah. saying that, that is brilliant and it's totally a Jesus thing is unless the text first does its work with you, um, particularly a text like that, that's addressing self-righteous, uh, people like myself, um, there, there's a, there's a compelling case to be made that you should just be silent or do, uh, yeah. Or, or you, Yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking about the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus keeps telling everybody to shut up. That I do think that we would do well to be quiet a, a lot more often. Um, uh, yeah, I can't think about any of these kinds of issues without seeing myself first as the object of address. And that's not yeah. just some like principle no, no, no. of being nice. That's actually in the text of Romans. That's that's yeah. how Paul does his work. Well, it's log and spec stuff from Sermon on the Mount. I mean, this yeah, is... totally. This is the whole structure of being Christian. Yeah. Um, so now that doesn't necessarily that doesn't mean uh, oh, therefore same gender erotic relations are just okay. But, but why just... not? But why not? Um, because if it's if you can make the harm argument, and and Tim, you're such a stud for going into these places. I so appreciate that's you. all right. Um, <laughs> but it, so so if you could make the argument that 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 theology like complementarianism some forms i mean genuinely harm women yeah. Yeah. um uh, that that certain sexual theologies either the theology itself or the way it's been expressed or both have harmed gay people right and i think we'd both agree that those yeah things are oh, totally then um what prevents us from simply making the move that says well then we will in the contemporary situation we will affirm then yeah um uh same-sex erotic behavior. What, what holds us from that? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I'll speak for myself. This is how I think about it. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to get it, again, not your position per se, but how we think about yeah. it differently from how I was taught to think about yeah, it. I was totally. taught you list the verses, you do the work, and there's your biblical answer. Yeah, and that's totally. the biblical answer. That's the way of doing biblical interpretation or reasoning biblically that sees Scripture – uh, as having no uh, genre, 
variety. It's just a book that you flip through the pages and you find a, uh, it's a storehouse of facts. It's not, uh, yeah, that's, that's a way of reading scripture that does not have canonical wisdom, uh, recognizing how to use these different texts. Okay, good. Um, the way that I think about it is, is like this, uh, um, as I look at varieties of churches, um, say for example, one church where there is, uh, there are power games going on. There's, um, people have control issues and most uh, women are held in subjection. There's a lot of discouragement, that sort of thing. Hmm. And you see a serious lack of new creation flourishing. Uh, that to me is a massive problem. And however they are reading scripture, it's not fostering God's purposes in that church. That's, mm-hmm. There's something dramatically wrong. And everybody could be completely heterosexual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, this is hypothetical. There are no real churches like this. I mean, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Say, for instance. Um, now, it is, it is a bit... Um, arresting to me to see uh, fellowships that are welcoming um, of uh, couples who are in same gender uh, relationships. It's, it has to get my attention to see that those communities are characterized by new creation life. That has to get my attention. That's all I can say. Like what, what does that mean exactly? Um, that has to, that troubles me, my inherited, my, uh, where I currently, how I currently think about things. And it has, yes. I want, I'm sitting with that challenge right now is what I'm just saying. I'm just, okay. that okay. that's not something I just blow off. Right. So, so yes. So we've had, I've, I've been in relationship with people who deeply love Jesus. They exhibit all of the fruit. Yeah. They, they are in committed same sex relationships. Yeah. Same here. And, and yep. And you're, and you're like, okay, I don't have a category for this. Yeah. So uh, I also realize that my inherited culture of uh, America, post-Victorian America, and evangelical life in America oh, now you're gonna is preach. just completely oriented by um, yes. genitalia. This is the yes. thing that we think about all the time, is what are people doing with their genitals, mm-hmm. uh, and how do we make rules to govern that behavior? But that's just... <laughs> There are that. That's just a, that's this absolutely mysterious area of life we've tried to regulate and focus on because it is so so challenging to us. I think we have an mm-hmm. overfocus on sex. Mm. Um, so I'm recognizing that about my own culture. But I also, mm. as I read scripture, I uh, I it, uh, I'm currently at the conviction that um, same gender erotic relations is not the mode of life that God. Uh, that, that's outside the, uh, the bounds of God's commended ways of, of our behaving. Um, now that's how I regard scripture. That's, that's what I see it saying. Um, uh, I do realize that there are a lot of unanswered questions and I, um, I sit with that challenge mostly because uh, many of the gay and lesbian people that I know well, uh, are some of the best people and, <laughs> um, and, and the ones who are Christian that I know are some of the most committed Christians and very careful Christians. I mean, just mm-hmm. carefully loving, thoughtfully loving. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and some of the people that I do know who are strong, are the strongest voices with regard to sexuality. I, ca- I cannot stand being around them. Yeah, They're yeah. just mean and ordinary. The conservative, the conservative voices. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, 
yeah, just just the voices that always want to weigh in on this and make sure that we're all, you know, what's your position on this? Yeah. Make sure you say it like this. You're not you're not angry enough at gay people. Are you waffling, perhaps? Right. And so I know that uh, when I talk about how I process this with some students, they will get they get a little bit of, um, nervous that perhaps you know I'm I'm going to be a, a betraying them or something like as if strongly denouncing anybody that has good relations with uh, gay and lesbian folks or even uh, might have a friend who's transgender that that's somehow um, right. a failure to be committed to scripture. But I hear the voice of scripture speaking to me uh, as a person of great privilege in this culture. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm working on me, you know, I'm, I'm listening to scriptures and speaking to me and, and my tribe and, and transforming us. Um, I just, I, I, um, yeah, I see where we fall short of being communities of hospitality for people that are, are trying to navigate some of the confusing parts of their lives without weighing in on all their choices. Um, you know, that's, yeah. I think that that's where the work, uh, needs to be done as far as I can see. Hmm. And most of the, um, yeah, that, that's where I'm busy enough. I don't need to weigh in on people's sex lives. <laughs> so, so here's what I'm hearing. I mean, this is, I think this is super important. First of all, in your, let's, let's call it Tim Gombus's hermeneutical method. There is, this is what I'm picking up. First, there's a great deal of humility that um, the text isn't something to be mastered, right? We don't yeah. stand over the We're text. We're mastered by it. We're mastered by it, which then that humility then leads directly into, I, I, I always say it like I'm the biggest sinner in the room, right? I, that, there's no one else's, I don't know anyone else's sin as well as my own. So yeah. I am, you know, I could say with Paul, I'm the chief of sinners. Yeah. Um, I, but what the other, the third thing that I see you doing uh, is that you are situating yourself. So I am, I am this kind of person in this stream among this tribe at this time. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of assumptions that are brought unaware to the text simply in virtue of that list. Yeah. Now, that, I think that's huge. And that's the postmodern gift. The postmodern gift to me has been the awareness of my station yeah. and how much it affects. Yes, my situatedness. Yeah. Um, uh, affects the interpretive choices I make about texts. That's a that's a great gift. So I see you doing that. I mean, that, and that's why I'm so eager to have this conversation with you. It's not that I want to know what you think about the specific issue. I'm interested in how how you think about the specific issue. So you've read the scriptures and have said, okay, for me, it seems to speak in this direction. Yeah. And I know you have conversations with people who say, hey, I've I've studied those same scriptures and I've come to the opposite conclusion. Yeah. Are we at a point with some of these moral issues where we just agree to disagree? Um, a la Romans 14, that these are just disputable matters. Yeah. Um, and, but then I hear, you know, other people saying, no, 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 this is, you know, this is, this one seems to be pretty clear in the Bible. And, um, so, so how do we, without in, in, engaging in power games, how would I, let's say I were, I were at a, in a, a position like you, somebody comes to me who is, um, you know, convinced the scripture does not address their specific situation and the fruit of their relationship has been good for them. 
right? They're committed. Yeah. They're not sleeping around. They're whatever. But then they say, well, what do you think? And what you're saying, and I'm sorry, I'm doing a lot of talking right now. I'm no, trying to, please. I'm, 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 no, 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 no. But, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm reprocessing, yeah. an outward processor. So I'm reprocessing some of what you're saying. So yeah. I would start by saying, listen, let me, let me, let me tell you about, you know, the, uh, the, the biggest sexual center in this room isn't you, it's me. Um, you know, you start with that posture, but when you start getting to the text, how would you go about disagreeing with somebody over an interpretation? What would that look like? Uh, first of all, I think I'd want to ask as many questions as possible, uh, without, um, I think that the way that I think about, I already know how I think, and I, I enjoy, uh, plunging into and excavating my own thought process and I was probing it to see that it's uh, moving in the right direction. So I already know how I think. Mm-hmm. I think I'd want to ask, but I'm also, I'm also in a place where um, my identity as God's beloved means that every person I encounter is God's gift to me. So if, if I'm talking with somebody that disagrees with me, this is a great opportunity for me to learn. So mm-hmm. how did you arrive at that conclusion? And especially when it comes to issues of sexuality, um, you know, I'm a, I don't know, my sexuality personally is very straightforward is I just, there's not been a lot of, there are, there are people who, because of a, a range of tragic situations have had a real complexity there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and just because of different, um, uh, you know, orientations, it's been a bit more complicated. So I, this is actually an area I just don't, I don't think about a lot. So, um, like one of my friends has had to think about this a lot and I just, I, whenever it comes up, I want to ask questions. How did you arrive at your conclusion? Uh, what about this? Because a lot of the gay and lesbian people that I know have, this is what they've thought about and they've probed into the far corners of it. And so I want to be, uh, have the privilege of, of being let in on that story. Um, and all the time. I'm always holding my own understandings of scripture very provisionally. Um, I, I, I have a good handle on what a, a lot of texts say, but I, the more I get through the Bible, I'm overwhelmed by, um, by what I don't know and what I'd like to grapple with. So if there's somebody that's thought about some of these texts in some creative ways, I'll just want to ask questions. Hmm. Um, and if, if I'm asked or pressed to give my understanding of something, I may say like, well, this is where I'm currently at, but I, I want to be open to thinking about and understanding scripture more faithfully. And if someone else can help me with that, that's fine. Yeah. So I, disagreeing over interpretations is not a problem for me uh, because I, I um, um, ultimately we're participating in the people of God in ways that um, are fruitful, mutually beneficial, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mutually loving, and how we think does not always have to line up. That doesn't matter. I mean, I, does that make sense? I, oh, it totally does. I, how does that how does that play out in a let's say let's take it from a academic context, you know, where you're, which is awesome, and I love I would love to eavesdrop on those conversations. Let's take it, put it to a church context, yeah, where um, you are you are leading a church. I mean, and I'm speaking here from some experience, uh, and and you're confronted with. Um, fairly significant disagreements and 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 readings of texts and and um, how uh, to, how how do you allow that 
to to go on. So I mean, Paul obviously draws a line in Corinthians where he's like, dude, we got to expel this person, right? That sin is so egregious. Oh yeah. So I get the question all the time. Well, if if you believe that um, homosexual, same sex, you know, erotic behavior is wrong, and here are people coming in doing that. Um, why aren't you exercising church discipline on them? Huh. And I know, right? And and um, again, such a difficult, difficult question. My answer is very often, um, well, let's do, let's start church discipline on on our our sexual sins first, and then we'll we'll get to theirs, you know, later. Um, but but where do you see a com- in the community sense? Where do you see? those lines being drawn, right? Because clearly there comes a time for Paul when it was too much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Was that first Corinthians six? I mean, there's a guy. Yep. um, It's five, right? Five. I I don't want to listen. Who's the Pauline scholar right now? There are pockets of my knowledge that are very foggy. (laughs) Baseball pushes out some of that. Um, I only have so much space in my brain. Uh, boy, that's a, that's a tough one because it, it, so much of it depends on larger community dynamics. Yes. Uh, because what I'd want to, what, if I ever were leading a church, which will never happen, but if I was pastoring, (laughs) I think what I would want to do is talk at length about, um, Paul's and James and John's and Mark's, um, uh, absolute primary uh, importance of the unity of the church, hmm. that, that it stay together despite differing differences of opinion, hmm. that God's people stay together. Now, uh, in the Eastern church, um, the worst thing you could possibly do is split, okay? Hmm. Because it's all oriented by the Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, by unity and diversity and unity. In the Western church, and especially in Protestantism, yeah. the worst thing you could do is disagree with me. I'll start my own church. We, so we have just the whole range of denominations and all that. So in our culture, um, we're used to saying it exactly like we've always said it. And if you disagree, we're going to find a reason to, to split off. Hmm. I mean, I want to always be recognizing that that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. But if in I was a pastor, I would yeah. want to be talking about unity all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to issues of sexuality, um, I feel that in this day, uh, especially evangelicals do not have the accumulated wisdom yet to really weigh in strongly on a number of things mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to issues of sexuality. So I'm, I, for my part, I'm still in learning mode. I think a lot of other people should be in learning mode. Uh, evangelicals have, you know, the, have done a lot of things wrong, tragically wrong with regard to sexuality, trying to change gay people, reparative therapies, all this kind of stuff. And just denunciation, exclusion mm-hmm. have done, have, it's like, let's try all the non-Jesus things first. And then, you know, we're out of, <laughs> until we're out of gas and then we'll start using the scripture as something other than a weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, how would you navigate this in a church? I would just want to exhort everybody, slow down. Mm-hmm. Um, the most important thing for us to do is to bear with each other. So if that means um, 
if that means bearing with others, then yeah. you'll be fulfilling biblical commands. Um, let's let's hold off on this. It seems to me there's something very particular going on there in First Corinthians five, where that person is behaving in a in a way that's exploitative, um, that's behaving in a way that is divisive and destructive, like like mm-hmm. community wise. Um, the many of the people that um, that I've gotten to know these days who grew up in Christian homes or who are even non-Christian homes who may be um, attracted to someone of the same gender or gay or lesbian or transgender. Um, many of the people that I have known and the stories that I've heard uh, are stories of confused identity from a young age. And uh, they've expressed the desire to just figure things out. Mm-hmm. And they're, um, they would love, they'd give anything for a welcoming community that will just help them figure things out. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, that that's a very different reality than mm-hmm. someone who's like sort of sitting with a high hand and uh, being a destructive agent in the community. Got it. People that are just trying to figure things out, um, uh, and even th- uh, those are the kinds of people that Jesus sat at table with. Mm-hmm. These are the kinds of people that uh, that we're supposed to be welcoming into our communities, not as if we're doing them a favor. But when we're welcoming these kinds of people, we're welcoming Jesus. So we get God's presence when we become havens for these sorts of folks trying to just figure out how it's going to work out in their lives. And to my mind, that's a privilege to get to know uh, people that are on that kind of journey. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been blessed by many of them and still uh, have good friendships. And it's Mm -hmm. for my, and that's how lucky I am. if we were to become those kinds of communities, uh, we would also be the kinds of communities that could welcome in uh, single people. We'd be havens for single mothers. We'd be on the lookout for uh, the elderly. Um, and we'd, be, we'd, we'd have the kinds of communities where we felt free to share our own stories. Mm-hmm. Um, being those kinds of communities is absolutely fundamental. Um, having all of the exact answers for complicated issues um, that are multiplying in our day, I'm not sure that that's the fundamental thing. But becoming the kind of community that can chase down some of this stuff and examine um, how to make a way forward. Um, it's crucial. That's that's what it's all about. Mm. Uh, so if there's someone that, has, that is willing to have fellowship with me and have, but has a different opinion, I, I want to hear it. Um, but I'm bound by Jesus's command to not... Uh, so division in that relationship. And I assume that other people that call themselves Christians are also viewing themselves as bound by God's command um, mm. to prize unity above all else. Mm. Wow. I can hear all the voices in my head. Just yeah. Well, my previous, me my too, previous Mike, here's the thing. Um, uh, I hear all of the way, I know how I was trained. Mm. And so many of the people that taught me um, in my seminary education, um, I want to be like none of them. I, I, wa- I want to have, uh, I mean, they, I don't, they're not people I want to emulate. They're not mm. people that um, mm. wow. were uh, welcoming uh, of people who are struggling. They're not people who were um, gracious in spirit. And so if I disagree conceptually with them, I, it's just the trouble. I, I'm happy to, I want to. <laughs> I want to find areas of disagreement. 
<laughs> I better disagree oh. with them. Yeah, yeah. So, so one last question, my friend, and and, and again, I. It's so rare to find people who are willing to talk about how this issue is approached. Again, the, the, the reason I'm talking about sexuality so much isn't to get you to talk about sexuality, but it's to get you to talk about how we yeah. have these conversations. Yeah. And what sort of what's it mean to read along the text in these sorts of really complicated places? Um, so if, if, if you're dealing with somebody who just said, um, hey, what's the Bible? And how should I read it? And like, Brand, I mean, I, I let once led a Bible study with some police officers, and they were, they'd never opened a, a Bible. We spent an hour just on the table of contents, like, wow. where are their testaments yeah. and what, where are their funny names? And it was just, it was the yeah, best thing I'd ever been awesome. a part of. But well, how would you answer that? How, if you were just going to give some people some, some hooks for how it is that they need to be learning to approach the scriptures? Uh, what would you say? Yeah. Uh, oh man. Uh, huge question. It's 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 complicated because uh, well, I'll just tell you how I would approach it. Um, the Bible is really the story. Uh, it's God's story, but it's also the story that led to the creation of the church. Hmm. Um, hmm. And so, hopefully we could point to communities that are uh, loving and welcoming and uh, characterized by uh, a lot of different countercultural dimensions and dynamics to say, this is, this is the background information to that reality. Hmm. Um, that's what I would love to be able to say. Uh, so few communities live up to that, which is tragic. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the Bible is, oh my goodness. I'd want to have a long, I'd want to have that conversation with somebody that I could meet with, you know, every other week for, you know, coffee or a beer or whatever. And I just, just to be talking it. Hmm. And, but what I would say is um, start with a text again, understanding canonical wisdom and different genres. Start with a text like Ephesians that is probably a circular letter. So it's meant to just have a broad audience and read it, read it once a day uh for like 30 you're dating days. it yeah date it ask it questions get to know it let it reveal itself to you over time mm. uh maybe read it every other day for six months mm. um you'll go to something like uh the gospel of john or matthew and just read it a bunch uh i i think i'd want to do just what you did just mm. talk about the table of contents this is it's it's a variety of texts collected over many years and uh just like if you were to pick up uh seneca and start reading Seneca, um, it's going to raise questions. What does it mean by that? Why would he use that expression? What's going on with that? Uh, there are not many 2,000-year-old texts that you just read every day. Yeah. So if it raises questions, <laughs> if it raises questions, you're reading well. Oh, that's good. Do you know what that's I mean? That's good, yes. It's not supposed to be uh, yes. you just read it and you just get it. No but way. Why, but why not? So that was the modernist claim. I had yeah. um, I had a Tremper Longman in, yeah, and and we had a, a conversation, and and he made this claim. He just said, "I think the Bible's really clear, you know, and kind of the central, its central facets." And um, we didn't spend any more time on that, but it was fascinating to think about. I used to think that, and yeah. I, I don't know, yeah, um, I don't know that I would ever say it that strongly, and so. Uh, why, why did God give us this instead of what we want? 
right? Which is the oh, the book of abstract principles. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why did God, or we could change the question. Why did God give us something that's good for us instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of meeting our self-destructive desires and just give us something that was easy? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a variety of literatures that shape and excite and tantalize the imagination, which is transformative for all of us. Um, I mean, these, the narratives create these projected worlds that invite us in and to imagine the world anew. And so many of the letters address things that are just absolutely concrete um, and they're clear to the original audiences, most likely. Okay. There probably were some original audiences that some of uh, the letters just flew over their heads. We don't know. Right. Right. Um, but they were uh, read by people that Paul and James and other writers had authorized. And so those were probably also the people that were there to, to first explain these texts. So God gave us, I should say it this way, God gave to each of the original audiences, uh, each of the early audiences, what was understandable to them at the time. Hmm. Uh, now that time has gone on, uh, a lot of time has gone on, and, and we are reading scripture in a very, very different place. We have to do the work to get back to uh, those original audience situations to hear those texts with mm. those kinds of ears. That's just mm. a challenge. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, there are some central things that are pretty clear uh, loving one another, lifting up the name of God, exalting the Lord Jesus, meeting together as community. But then there's a lot of stuff that's unclear. And, uh, <laughs> and subject to difference, which is, yes. and, and difference in the Bible is a value. It's not a, it's not an unfortunate thing. So yeah. we should expect it to be held in tension with unity. Yeah. Well, uh, think about, think about these early audiences that are all Mediterranean people hmm. met. I met a Kurdish man this morning. Um, and, hmm. um, my family are all Greeks and, uh, Mediterranean folks are, uh, voluble and, hmm. uh, passionate. <laughs> and, uh, there's a lot of, um, animated disagreement and conversation. So just imagine early Jews and then later uh, wider um, Mediterranean folks getting these texts and doing nothing but arguing over them. Hmm. Um, but arguing within the context of commonality and community, uh, a community bound together. Hmm. And uh, in a sense, we in the West do a lot of arguing about Scripture, but without the covenantal relationships with each other. That's true. Um, yep. So we like to argue. Uh, but we're not arguing toward the end of fruitful community life. We're often arguing, you know, to have our position win or something like that, which ah. is just So the difference pointless. in the first example builds unity. Yeah. Whereas the difference in our current situation, um, you know, just it, it destroys it. I mean, for yeah. lack of a better word. We're trying, yeah, and especially like an evangelical life and in, in America, we're trying to build our, our brand or we're trying to build our institution or we're trying to right. make clear lines for our, our large organizations so that we have control over them. Uh, those are all dynamics that just cause a lot of problems and are, and are not yeah. anything, anything good. There's nothing good yeah. about any of that. Yeah. In fact, 
in Mark, is that Mark nine? Uh, in Mark, yes, I think it's Mark nine. Uh, John comes to Jesus and says, uh, I think this whole episode has direct reference to churches in Mark's mind. Uh, John comes to Jesus and says, hey, we heard some people casting out demons in your name. We told them to stop. Oh, I love it. And Jesus says, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> anybody who gives you uh, a drink of water will in no way lose their reward. So, mm. so a community that offers you hospitality, I am going to bless. Mm. He, he, has, he doesn't, it's just an interesting thing to say. But then he goes on to say, uh, um, Mark then attaches those strong warnings about uh, if your eye causes you to sin, cut it off. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, etc. Then he goes through, it's better um, anybody that causes one of the least of these to stumble, mm-hmm. better for him that he die the worst possible death than, than, than that he get to the day of judgment having done what he did. And which is the reason why Mark situates, so a lot of people, scholars will say, um, Mark places wrongly that stuff about the warnings mm-hmm. against sexual sin right in that stuff about communities warring with each other, like hmm. this church trying to build its brand over against that church. Hmm. Um, but hmm. Mark puts them in exactly the right spot because what Jesus is saying is that if anybody gets into ministry competition with each other and that causes, um, that causes any weak or you know, young Christians to be chewed up in the process, Uh, the damnation that you will suffer as a result of that will make you want to wish you died the worst possible death before you got to the day of the Lord. Um, So when it comes to building our brands and building our big churches and coming up with clear statements that, you know, draw lines and tell people, you know, you're either you're in or you're out. uh, We're not paying attention to what Jesus has said about the importance of community life. That's all I can say. Boom. Well, (laughs) <laughs> that's a forest gump. That's all I have to say about that. Um, that's so good, bro. Thank you. Uh, this is such good stuff. And cool, man. No, I'm so grateful you're you're willing to to sit in dialogue yeah. and and I mean, so it's just so fun. I love I it. Think, well, yeah, I, I appreciate that very cool. much. Um, so I'm just gonna bless our Vox listeners and then um, and then let you go. But to our Vox community, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give us peace. So until next time, friends, thank you so very much for listening.